Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Friday, June 2nd, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by a generous contribution from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. LHF produces a variety of Lutheran resources in foreign languages, and you can learn more about all their translating and publishing work and how they can help your ministry on their website at lhfmissions.org. Well, today we've come to another First Friday of the month, and so it's a free text First Friday. Today we're going to be meeting with former police detective and current pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Charleston, West Virginia. He's also a law enforcement chaplain and the director of Peace Officer Ministries. That's going to be Frank Rufato. He is here to discuss uh, ministering to the authorities. Using Roman 13 as a foundation, we're going to look at how Christians who are in vocations of authority can serve their neighbor and how Christians of all vocations can serve those in authority in godly ways. So, Pastor Rufato, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Well, thank you for having me. I, I, I have to say, you know, with my previous career and all that, I, being a pastor and liking to talk, this is the stuff I like to talk about. Oh, that's wonderful, because I am really excited about this topic. I think it is a valuable one. Now, I covered my very first book once I took over as host on Thy Strong Word was Romans. And so I've talked about Romans 13 on the air. Um, it's certainly been covered many times. Over the past few years, Romans 13 has been, I guess it's gotten new attention as people have struggled with their uh, Christian duty to respect and obey those in authority over them and, and where and when to draw those lines. And I think left out of the conversation over the past few years have been those in authority. You know, how can we minister to them? How are they to serve faithfully as Christians? And so I think this is a conversation that's certainly worth having over and over again, and you're certainly one to uh, lead us in it. Before we even dive into anything or any scripture, um, I'd like for you to start our time together in prayer. Yes, let us pray. Uh, Lord, all eyes look to you for you provide. And we especially thank you for the good that is your word, the written word that points us to the living word, Jesus. So as we study today, Lord, let us be, uh, lead us by your Spirit, and may we always lift up the name of Jesus in whom we pray. Amen. Thank you very much, Brother. Pastor Rafato. now tell, just take a few minutes and tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, your journey to ministry, and how God is working through you now. Oh my goodness, I'm not sure we have enough time, but I'll give yeah, this now. Su sum that up in just a few minutes. <laughs> yes. Um, so basically, I was raised in the LCMS, although um, I probably didn't take it, uh, my faith life, as serious as I should have um, until I started having kids. Um, and, and of course, when I went into the career of being a police officer uh, as well, and um I have to say, I thank God for um, keeping me in the faith uh, through that, because as a police officer, you see just so much stuff. Um, if I can put it this way, uh, you know, there, we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, the, 
officers often and I got often got to see the bad and the ugly and wondered, well, where's the good? And so the Christian worldview is really what pulled me through that career. Um, I think without being completely jaded and cynical. But I, I, I spent ne- uh, nearly 20 years as a peace officer, a uh, majority of that in major crimes, homicide and child abuse and that kind of stuff. Um, and then uh, as I got more involved with uh, my kids in church and youth ministry and just different things, um, uh, I slowly came to the conclusion that maybe I can, uh, maybe my second career, as it were, uh, could be where I can serve God's people. And um, it ended up leading me to seminary. So I, I went to, to St. Louis and uh, I made it through. Somehow they passed me through and uh, I've been doing law enforcement chaplaincy and pastoring for uh, ever since. Well, that's wonderful. And and you and I were at the seminary at the same time together. So, um, you know, I didn't have a, a long and storied career as you did before into seminary, but I was also a second career guy. And I think there's a lot of us out there who were going in one direction for however long of a time. And then God brought us into ministry and we continue to use the experiences that we received uh, doing other things. And, and fold those into our ministries to God's people today. And so I, I'm certainly grateful for folks like you. I'm excited about our topic today. Um, I, you know, trying to think about the best way to do this. I think that I'm just going to read all of Romans 13, because that's going to be sort of a foundation for our discussion, um, and yeah. then sort of let you take it from there, and we'll go back and forth. But I'm just going to read the entire text. It's only 14 verses to get this uh, in our hearts and minds as we as we go. So here we go uh, from the English Standard Version. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is an authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. For the night is far gone and the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires." Now, I don't know how much of this chapter we'll be using today, but I'm going to sort of turn it over to you. Just just take us through, I guess, the, the premise. You know, where 
where from Scripture, and perhaps this this passage as a seres doctrina, right, as the seed of our doctrine on how we interact with authority, um, what, what what's sort of the overall vision of, of what you uh, what you're trying to do in your ministry? Well, if I can uh, just take a brief moment and just talk a little bit. Of course, uh, we um, take uh, when we do our study, uh, take context into view as well, and so. The context that this is in is that Paul is really laying out, you know, what God did to save us, and and okay, so as a as part of his family now, what does that that look like? And so chapter thirteen is sort of um, in the middle of this section between chapters twelve and fifteen that really show, really speak or show to us, hey, this is how Christians act in these different situations, as it were. And so this then hones in on, well, what about the government? And, and Paul is writing at a time where Christians are not the favored people. <laughs> so they would have, I imagine, been very attentive. Okay, how do we answer this? When do we obey? Um, why, why would we obey? They, they hate us, that kind of thing. Um, and it would be easier for us to sort of feel that way a little bit, considering uh, the state of our greater culture uh, that we're in. Um, but Paul is pretty clear. He starts this out saying, you know, this, everyone is to be subject, is to get in line, if you will. If I recall, that's a military term that he's using there uh, to get in formation, uh, as it were, because God gives the authority to the government. He's the greater authority. So I think that's the, that's the general, um, uh, in a short summary uh, of of the background that plays in the background of this, as it were. Uh, and so what do we, what does that mean uh, for me uh, as a chaplain, former law enforcement officer dealing with people who are first responders? And that includes call takers and firefighters and EMTs, the whole bit. Um, what, uh, how, how can we use this? I guess I think uh, in terms of this, how can we use this to help them to see that what they're doing is not um, ungodly work. On the contrary, it's godly work, uh, even though it not, might not always feel that way. Um, and, and I think Paul does a great job here uh, with that. Um, well, Paul is not exactly in a position of, of, of blessing from the authorities, right? I mean, when he's writing this, it, this is, if, if anything else, this is evidence that the Holy Spirit is speaking through Paul because— Humanly speaking, he would have every reason to tell people to resist the authorities, that they weren't there for people's good. Um, you know, describe a little bit of where Paul is at when he's writing this, because I think it gives us a great, a great view into, I guess, how it is to live as a Christian under a government that does not uh, give you preference, which we are increasingly in that situation as Christians today. Um, and yet there is a uh, a, a godly role for how we deal with those in authority. Yeah, and I would say for the listeners too. Uh, not I'm, I'm sure not all your listeners are, are police officers. Uh, the question for those who aren't in law enforcement, that kind of thing, is how do we respond to uh, what law enforcement does, so to speak? Uh, do we do we run out at every incident and say, "Hey, we have to defund the police and get rid of them"? Do we do we hold hold them up no matter what they've done, or is there something in between? And I, I think while Paul is 
very uh, obviously authoritative, but very precise. I mean, he says every person is to be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except by God. Um, and, and yet, again, contextually a little bit, we we've got Acts chapter five, which reminds us as well that hey, if they've if the government is asking you to do something that's against what God's command is. There's a time. There certainly is a line right there. Uh, do we follow God or do we follow man? Um, and that's what we have to, I think, discern a little bit. And I think that's a struggle that police officers probably have a little bit because, uh, well, I'll tell you, my brother and I, my biological brother, he was also in the same police department I was, and we had several conversations on the fact that, hey, what if I have to use my handgun and shoot somebody? Uh, which may mean loss of life, me taking a life. What does that mean? You know, when we hear in the Ten Commandments, I shall not murder um, uh, in that. You know, how do you wrestle with that? And I think Paul here um, is sort of helping us to, to rein that in a little bit, for lack of a better way to put it. Sure. I mean, and I think that is a, a tough situation because when you are in a position of authority— you are also you're never not under an authority, and, and so you you're always no matter what vocation you are you're always dealing with someone who's an authority over you, and it's important to know where those limits are. Now you you mentioned acts where it speaks of you know if it's something against God's will, but see even if you resist the authorities for a say godly reason, that doesn't remove from you the. Uh, consequences, the earthly consequences of that resisting. Um, and I think the same would apply for a law enforcement officer who ends up having to do something that is something they don't want to do, but they're having to exercise, say, God's judgment in a way that's either God-pleasing or not God-pleasing. They have to deal with the consequences of that. You know, it's not just black and white. It's so it's so difficult to try to cling to to God's will while also operating in this, what we call the, you know, the left-hand realm. Uh, yes. And that's something that, that we bring to the table. And so if uh, any of the guys or colleagues out there who are listening today, who are contemplating doing some chaplaincy or what have you, boy, what an arsenal that we have as Lutherans in our theology, the right and left-handed kingdom, the distinction between law and gospel. These are, these are very things that we can employ to help officers and other first responders see, um, again, that what they're doing is, is meet right and salutary, if you will. So you've talked um, about everyone being subject to a civil authority, which we get from this, um, and then this idea of Christians in the role of being police officers um, and I know you said authority extends beyond this, of course. There are many different ways that there are people who are keeping the peace, so to speak, or in public service that aren't exactly law enforcement. But um, what about this idea that there might be things in order to enforce laws, you have to uh, – or I should say you're surrounded by a culture that isn't particularly Christian, and perhaps you don't – get the same sorts of benefits or promotions or anything else if you're if you're strictly living by your Christian faith. There just seems to be a lot of temptation for people in these roles. Um, and also, I'm, I'm thinking the idea that you have to protect the public at large, and in doing so, you have to protect people who are 
adamantly sometimes against your faith and actively looking to destroy it. So you have to operate in a very, I guess, um, a very neutral realm, right? Well, and I, I, I neutral, sure, but at the same time, uh, and again, this is how this worldview helped pull me through the, the this career. Um, God, God, in the end, knows, and in the end, He wins, and justice will be done. And so, we have to do the best we can to bring justice. Um, uh, as you spoke about, you know, there's the earthly consequences. Well, we need to do that. I. I, I think of this, and I've used this as an example of some law enforcement guys because they can appreciate pop culture. Um, if you recall, oh, brother, where art thou? And they've got the whole baptism scene, and, and they get in the truck later on, and the one guy is chiding the other. You know, that whole baptism thing, how silly. He said, no, hey, listen, I've been redeemed now. I've, uh, you know, even, even that other store that I told you I didn't knock off, I, you know, that, I'm forgiven of that too. And the guy replies and says, yeah, that's all very fine with the Lord. But the state of Mississippi might have, uh, you know, be a little more hard-nosed than that. And so, again, this two kingdoms thing becomes comes to the forefront, I think, for people to see uh, and, and to experience um, what we're doing uh, in our vocations and our callings is for God's kingdom. Yes, it, it's working through uh, uh, the current culture, uh, but we still bring that. We still bring God's kingdom, as it were, I think, to the culture. Uh, if I can put it that way. Sure. So there are opportunities when you're operating as, you know, God, a servant of God in your role, um, that you can use that position to, to, uh, I guess, serve your neighbor, be a good, a, a good Christian, uh, to serve God. But at the same time, you know, you have to avoid things that are outright you know, proselytizing. You have to avoid things that may take offense. You have to um, you have to serve in ways that don't give a connotation of a, a marriage between church and state. I, I think that might be a struggle with some folks. You know, where where they're called to, they feel. I'll give you an example. So, not in law enforcement, but I have some friends who are therapists, and and they risk their licenses if they were to, according to their Christian faith, counsel people. Um, in, in a way that uh, that might introduce them to Christ, and, and yet as Christians, they're called to 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 proclaim Christ in all that they do. So, so where's that line? How do how can you how do you minister to police officers who feel like there's a struggle between being a a good uh, a servant of the Lord at, at the same time uh, serving in a capacity where there's so much restraint? And I think military chaplains are facing some of this too, in some of the limitations that are sometimes put on them. Um, in the way that they minister to people. Um, yes. Well, I, I, you know, this a little bit, I think for me, as I think, especially military chaplains and recent uh, happenings with that, you know, is, is you know, uh, Acts 5 may come to play. And yes, there's going to be consequences for that. But at some point we have to declare Jesus or not. Now, I don't mean to sound, uh, you know, overbearing on that. I, but I'm thinking that, as I think of my career and as I was going out, everybody knew I was a Christian where I worked. Um, and I don't say that as a platitude for myself. It's just I somehow I wore my face on my sleeve. Now, I didn't. It's not like I went up and down the hallway at, at the office and went, hey, do you know Jesus? Nothing like that. But um, just in conversations with guys, 
uh, about different things and that would come up. And I think about there was one particular investigator who um, just was the epitome of investigators. He's a great interrogator. I used to joke with him that, hey, I want to be just like you when I grow up. Um, but he was not, um, I wouldn't say he was an atheist. He's a little agnostic, I guess. Um, and his wife, though, was very much a churchgoer and, and very much Christian faith important to her. And so she had been praying for him. Well, he and I had several discussions uh, around this very kind of thing. But here's where I think the Lord used that uh, as a, for instance, we had a case where there was two drug dealing groups. They had a shootout and a little kid got killed, you know, somehow got caught in crossfire. Well, for the police, I can tell you, and little note for the chaplains out there who might be listening is um, old people and little kids don't mess with those. The police hate that to the utmost. Uh, you know, everybody else who's sort of in the middle of life, you're kind of on your own, but don't mess with little kids or, or old people. So needless to say, it, it was all hands on deck. Well, he was in uh, the interrogation room with the guy who we believed was the shooter. And uh, he came out of the room and he slammed the door and he looked right at me and he said, all right, Father Frank, which was the nickname they had given me at the time. He said, where is God in the middle of all this? Uh, with a few expletives added in that sentence. And uh, this is way before I had any sort of theological training. So this is a thing of the spirit. Without sure. missing a beat, I looked at him and I said, sir, he is working through you. Get your butt in there and get a confession. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so things like that come up and there are opportunities. And so what we have to do is be observant for opportunities. Um, yeah, we don't go around and I, I don't have that personality anyway. Even though I'm sort of an extrovert in, in some situations, you know, being on the corner and yelling at people or confronting people in a store or something like that, you know, that just would not be my style or even at work kind of thing. But there are times where somebody asks you a question and, well, you can answer it. Uh, right. That makes sense. No, it, it does. And it's that conscience. You talked earlier about in your role as a law enforcement officer or other people who are in that vocation, they often just see the bad side of people, you know, almost 100 percent of the time, if if the if the sheriff's deputies or the police officers or or any other level of law enforcement is showing up at your door, it's probably going to be not a good day for you <laughs> in some regard. Uh, either you are a, a victim or you are a perpetrator or you are someone who uh, is family of someone who is one of those things. And so you 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 as a police officer find all of this negativity. It seems like you only see the bad sides of people and people typically only encounter you in bad situations. So I think that creates uh, an environment where you have people like your interrogator friend who, yeah, they, they struggle with how can there be a God who allows some of these awful things to happen? And it does seem a little bit more heightened when they're children or when they are uh, elderly or feeble. And, and it's like, how can God allow this evil to happen? It's one of the oldest questions in the book. How does God, uh, why does God allow evil to happen? Um, and so I, I can see that. And then you talk, we talk about the scriptures here where they bear, they don't bear the sword in vain. Often that can be taken quite literally uh, with capital punishment or uh, the use of deadly force. And I, I would say that despite the glorification of those types of things on television, um, it's my understanding that most law enforcement officers um, never have to discharge their weapon. 
and those that do, um, that's that that's a real struggle. It's it's not it's not something that just is shaken off. No, and uh, and I, I will say in my career, I had plenty of opportunities where I could have, I would have been justified to do it, uh, but for whatever circumstances, tactically or otherwise, I did not. Uh, um, for example, we had a traffic stop. It was in a drug neighborhood. Uh, turns out the guy had a gun under his in his armrest and was going to try to go for it. Well, you know, of course, we have our guns drawn and we're yelling instructions to him. But my partner walked right in front of me. And if I had shot, I would have shot my partner, not the bad guy. So that, that was one of the good ones that uh, I'm glad that I did not. Um, and how, how fortuitous of you to, to ask or, or to present it in that way. As I said, my brother was on the same police department as I was. And he did. He walked in on an active robbery in a small restaurant uh, in the area he was working. And there was a kid robbing the place, had a gun turned to my brother. My brother did everything according to training. He moved, withdrew his uh, weapon, identified himself, and he ended up having to shoot the kid. Now, fortunately, the kid did survive. He did not end up killing him. Um, but it did. It, uh, uh, bother, for lack of a better way to say it, my brother for a long time. He dealt with some anger issues, some PTSD. Uh, it's very real. And part of it is, is you made me do this. And, and I think that's part of the inherent, the law that God's written on our heart when we do something like that. And how do you react? On one hand, he was doing the right thing. It was part of his vocation. That kid had a gun on, a, on an innocent lady working at, at this restaurant, and yet he had to do that. And so you're right. It's not a thing that, uh, you know, not like they show on TV where you shoot and then you kind of blow the smoke out of the end of the barrel and just reholster, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, uh, so, so you do have to struggle with that. And, I, and I'm glad to report my brother did work through that and uh, is in good shape. But uh, it was not that was not a fun time, so to speak. Um, so uh, the other part of that with officers is. So, for instance, my brother got a, a Medal of Valor. You know, they had an end-of-year uh, sort of award ceremony. He got the Silver Medal of Valor and all that. And he's like, I don't really feel all that like I've done something valorious, as it were. Yeah. Um, you know, so uh, we do have to be careful with that. Um, so, you know, I, and as I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about not only the opportunities where people where police officers have to they, they have they have to uh, rise their, their heighten their use of force to meet the level of resistance. You know, we see in these days uh, such a negativity towards police officers and, and every force is a guilty until proven innocent situation. And because of a lot of the political divisions and ideological divisions in this country, um, we talk about Christians not having a favorable view. It, it really mm. seems that law enforcement officers today have it pretty tough, you know, and and there's a couple reasons for that. I think one is this uh, rejection of authority by people. There is also, I think, on the law enforcement side, and feel free to push back, but we've kind of moved, whether necessary or not, from police officers who were very community-based to everything, every every place is sort of like a paramilitary force, you know? Uh, so yeah. there's this there's this impression of police officers, I think, that um, has some negative connotations. So, so how do you, on both sides, address the the need to minister to law enforcement officers 
and the need to minister to people to respect those in authority. And I know I know you want to respond, but you know what? I want to take a break, <laughs> uh, and we'll think about it during the break, and then we'll come back, and I look forward to your response. Folks, don't go anywhere. When I come back, Pastor Rafato and I will keep on going, talking about ministering to authorities. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Vu, and with me today is former police detective, the Reverend Frank Raffato, pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Charleston, West Virginia, uh, Virginia, that's my southern accent coming out, and executive director of Peace Officer Ministries. Folks, Thy Strong Word, as you know, can be heard in St. Louis on AM850, but you can also get it live or on demand. You can also hear it as a podcast on KFUO's app or on your own favorite podcasting platform. So be sure to uh, let folks know about the program, how they can listen. Uh, episodes like First uh, Free Text First Fridays are a uh, absolutely great way to get people introduced to the program because you know they don't have to have been following along. It's an ad hoc uh, subject, but you know what? Either way, you can email me with questions at pastorboo at gmail .com, or you can find me on Facebook. All right, Pastor Rafato, before the break, I, I dropped a question right as I noticed the time, so I apologize for that. Uh, a couple of things I brought up that I'd love to hear your response for. And one is the changing uh, opinion or, I guess, uh, reputation of police and why that's happening in our country um, and how we can minister to both sides of that division, both the law enforcement officers who are bearing the brunt of what is often an unfair characterization, and also those who feel like they're being oppressed in many ways by an increasingly uh, um, heavy-handed government. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough road uh, to go down. Um, if I might, I, um, I think there's a little bit of back and forth that happens, maybe even a cyclical kind of thing that happens with law enforcement um, uh, when I was working the road, as we call it, a patrol officer, I did um, get assigned to our community policing effort, which was um, different than just going out on patrol. Uh, you answer the radio, go to calls when you're sent, and that kind of thing. This was a uh, – I had an office in one of the apartment complexes that were in our in my beat, um, and I was uh, expected to not merely make arrests and that kind of thing, but to – interact with business owners and, and the like uh, and see what problems were going on in the community that might be underlying some of the crime that was happening, that kind of thing. And so I 
I'd get statistical reports and all that and kind of see. And so I knew kind of areas where, hey, I need to go talk to people over here or there. Um, and I, one of the satisfying things was, for instance, there was a crack house we had, and it was nothing but problems, constant calls for service, which, of course, uh, keep officers from doing other maybe more uh, constructive things. And, of course, it's a blight on the neighborhood, that kind of thing. Well, uh, we did make an arrest or two, but really what ended up clearing that up was – we got a hold of the owner. It was a rental property, and the owner lived out of state. And so we kind of, hey, this is what's going on. You need to know about your property. And frankly, um, the co- zoning people and that kind of thing said, hey, if you're, if you don't come and help clean this up, you could lose this property, uh, uh, kind of thing. And so that's not necessarily a law enforcement action, uh, but we used other tools to solve a problem. And so. That was that was kind of, if I can put it this way, fun to work because you've got a problem in front of you to, you try to solve it, so to speak. Unfortunately, I think one of the things that's happened, and, and I think this is just part of the culture too, is we went from that to having officers, and you can see this on uh, any of the social media things, you know, little memes and all. For for a while, it was officers at community meetings and in their full uniform out there dancing in the street with people and all that. Now. Um, I confess, I'm not a great dancer, so I, I don't, I'm not sure that I would do that anyway. <laughs> I, I think we've we've made a what that ended up looking like was in, in an effort to um, look more human to people. It really, I think, denigrated the uniform, so to speak. So now this is a guy I can talk to any way I want to, and so you you already have an anti-authority kind of thing, and now he's over here being a little goofy with people. Okay. And then we go back to the other thing, like you said, we get this cycle, and then now we've got the uh, folks who um, everybody is in a tactical uniform uh, kind of thing. And so it's trying to find a balance between those. In a sense, both of those are necessary. Maybe not the dancing in the street. Like I said, when I did community community policing, I didn't do that. But I did talk and interact, and uh, I can't tell you how many community picnics. It was almost like um, going to a – uh, a Lutheran uh, cookout after church kind of thing, all the side <laughs> dishes and everything um, for that. It's a good thing I ran a lot because I had to run a lot of it off. Uh, but um, <laughs> I think it's just going to be difficult. We have a younger generation, I think, and I, I don't mean to sound curmudgeony, but um, who, like you uh, stated a little bit before, authority. I'm my own authority. Uh, I, right. I'm not going to – nobody else is over me. And so uh, why, why, why shouldn't I go up to a police officer and tell him how terrible he is, and, you know, spit on him or do whatever? Um, so, uh, so it's not going to be an easy fix. I think part of it is, is we have to um, – when officers do find themselves in a spot where they've done wrong, hold them accountable. Um, on the other hand, we also need to uh, – let them uh, let police officers play by the same rules, so to speak. So you're you're innocent until proven guilty. Um, right. Yeah. So and I mean, I, and that's I, that's very much a best construction kind of idea. Right. I mean, yeah. there's so much yeah. we have so much information out there and yet so little, uh, I guess, not to be cliche, but but wisdom about it. You know, video, for instance, 
uh, can be manipulated. Uh, eyewitness testimonies are notoriously unreliable. And so everybody's sort of jumping to conclusions. And you have, of course, the court of public opinion. And those things have always existed, but they are, are exacerbized, exacerbized by the fact that it's so easy to get information out there and let false information spread. But the scriptures talk about, and, you, and you've written on this, about, you know, because of conscience, we should honor all officers. So not just in terms of obeying them because, um, uh, not all officers, pardon me, that we should all honor officers, not just because it's God's command and the authority ultimately comes from him, but what is this because of conscience? And and why, why would you say that, you know, our attitudes toward peace officers should be a phobeo or fear of them, as the scripture says here? How, how do we interpret those and understand it um, you know, are we supposed to be afraid of the government? Is that what God is saying here? <laughs> well, if I if I went full libertarian, I would say yes. But I, I think <laughs> if I might make a, an analogy, uh, there's a continuum of force that officers are trained in. So, for instance, when I walked onto a scene uh, of something, whatever the call would be, a domestic or whatever it is, just walking on scene with your uniform on and the badge on, that's a level of force, if you will. And maybe we could put it this way. That's a level of authority you have. And so you come now to the next level is, you know, the person looks at you and you go, what are you doing here? Well, now I'm going to have to go to the next level. And that means speaking now in a command kind of way. Um, hey, I'm here because I got called and I can see the person you're standing over. that's it, not down. I can tell that it looks like you did it kind of thing. Um, and then if they decide they want to turn and raise their fists, well, now you've gone to the next level. And so officers really, if we really think about it, it's very rare officers just run in and beat somebody uh, up or shoot them or, you know, without any sort of uh, going through this sort of continuum. Now, obviously, that continuum can happen faster than I just explained it. Um, right. And so I think our... Uh, this idea for officers and for folks who, uh, you know, in terms of our conscience, um, maybe we could think of it in that way in terms of when we, again, the best construction kind of thing. Well, why did he do what he did? Um, and that's going to be harder for some uh, neighborhoods, for lack of a way to put it, uh, who have experienced, hey, my uncle is in jail for 12 years, and I was there when when he got locked up and that didn't look nice. Or, or the example I gave you is uh, my brother, um, the shooting he had. Well, when the investigators went and interviewed the young man who ended up being also charged with a bunch of other robberies, um, the, the interrogator asked him, said, hey, do you have anything to say about this case? And he said, listen, I was just robbing the place. He didn't have to shoot me. Now, right. that's kind of a mentality that officers have to deal with all the time. I mean, of course, that makes no sense to us. It's almost laughable. Um, but this is the milieu that they're in. And so uh, it, I think it's going to be a perennial question that we've really just got to work at. And with um, uh, speaking the truth in love um, to both sides of it. You know, it's interesting that I just read the other day. It was online, just in the normal, you know, social media kind of sphere. And, and someone was talking about um, if you use a, a weapon to protect your household, then that means you value your stuff more than someone's life. 
this concept that yeah, you hear it, right? So this concept that just what you said, right? I'm just robbing the place, right? That's not worth taking someone's life. Now, yeah, I mean, the punishment for robbery shouldn't be taking someone's life. But as you talked about this continuum of force, if you put yourself in a felonious situation and then you're trying to um, assault people and it, it quickly can rise to that level where but then who gets blamed, right? The peop- the, the the authorities typically get blamed. But it's very yeah. difficult because because you know at the same time there are genuine incidences instance, instances of authorities abusing that god-given authority. And and so that brings us to that whole idea of well what do we do if we are uh, in a situation where we either as an authority are being asked to do something that is against our conscience, against God's will, or uh, against the, the law even. Uh, and and as a citizen or, or someone um, who has to uh, to su- support and be subject to the governing authorities, how do we react? You know, Luther writes, um, as he's talking about this very text, he says, let every person without exception, no matter how lofty, be subject to the governing authorities. Um, There is no authority from God, of course, as the scripture said, Uh, but he says, even though those who possess the authority may not have been instituted by him, but Luther himself resisted the authorities in some ways, you could say. Um, We think of we think of the resisting of authorities in the Declaration of Our Independence. We think Mm -hmm. about um, jury nullification. We think about all kinds of ways in which uh, authority is resisted. but that seems to be tainted then by people who are uh, so-called sovereign citizens who respect no authority or uh, uh, police officers or law enforcement officers who themselves don't respect the authority that they've been given and use it to their own advantage. So it, I know it's a sinful world, uh, but as you said, this is a, this is a going to be a perennial issue that we have to deal with. Um, I guess, you know, what does God's word say about that? What do you say about it? Well, I, I think that uh, one way to look at it, and, and this is a way you can minister to officers and help them to see it. Now, officers come on a police department. There's Most police departments have a pretty extensive um, list you have to go through to get qualified to get on, then to get trained, as it were. Um, you know, psychological tests and uh, other, you know, education, et cetera. Um, but I think that... Uh, this idea um, about authority is, is it needs to be tempered. The authority that I, that I had as a police officer wasn't my authority. It was authority of the state of Maryland and even more uh, pointed uh, Prince George's County where I worked. Um, so uh, number one, how do, how do we handle authority? We're us being very, um, individualistic, uh, liberty-minded culture, hey, my, I'm the authority in my life, uh, not someone else. So, so we have to help so our officers and civilians, if I can put it that way, to see that, hey, God is the ultimate authority, regardless of what the other authorities we have. And even if they don't act right, God's the ultimate authority. And so that's the ultimate authority that we want to follow. Um, uh, that might come in later conversations, but I think at some point we we need to talk about that. I mean, when when, when Paul says that God set these authorities in place, he follows that with because God's the ultimate authority. Of course, my translation, maybe not ESVs, but. Uh, <laughs> 
Well, you know, I, I think that we we as Christians have a duty to set a good example for the world in how we deal with authority, too. So even when it comes to the need to resist authority from time to time, I think the way in which we resist that authority matters. We should do it in a Christian way. Um, and I think that that's, that's what's missing. You know, even when you're in a situation perhaps where you feel like your rights are being violated or you feel like um, you're being persecuted or punished unjustly, you know, there are appropriate ways in which to resist that authority, and it, typically it doesn't happen on the street, for, for instance. Um, right. It should happen in courtrooms, but Christians should be at the forefront of that. So how can we as Christians then, um, both as Christian law enforcement officers, but also as just Christian, um, you know, people of our community, citizens, uh, how can we be a, a beacon of what it looks like from God's point of view to both respect authority and also to properly resist authority when necessary. And I say this in the context of what's happened over the past few years where um, there were many in authority, not necessarily police officers, but certainly those in the legislative positions, which mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of people would agree overstepped their authority. And we're seeing that playing out in the courts now, and a lot of people are being vindicated. But it was, it was tough for a while. So how, how would you address that? Um, well, and I, uh, I used to tell guys, hey, listen, let's, uh, and several traffic stops, I'm, I come to my mind where people are just irritated that she even stopped them and they didn't have their license and they're, now they're getting flustered because they might get a ticket. And well, you know, now they, you know, almost to the point of wanting to find it, it's like, hey, this is not the place to uh, carry out justice, so to speak, you know, uh, innocent or guilty. Take it to court. If you have a complaint uh, of how I handled you as a police officer, here's the complaint process. So, uh, number one, if you're a Christian and you're on the end of what you think is wrong policing or wrong, um, it might seem uh, bureaucratic, and it is to an extent. But I would suggest that most police departments uh, have some sort of um, guideline, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, where you that you can follow to file a complaint and to follow up on it. Um, and so there, there's a there's a spot there uh, where you know just sort of follow the rules kind of thing. The other thing is, I think, um, secondly, don't do something where you got to get pulled over. <laughs> right. And I know that's not always easy. We, I, you know, sometimes I can daydream a little bit while I'm driving. I know if that was a yield, I should have yielded instead of just driving out there or that kind of thing. Um, uh, the other thing is I, I, what came to my mind was, you know, when I, um, give a presentations on peace officer ministries and the like, I talk to people, you know, how many of you here have uh, thrown a party in your neighborhood or maybe a, a, at your home and called up the dispatcher and said, Hey, can you send a couple officers over? You know, we're just, we're just having a great time. My kids are straight A students and, and we are celebrating that. We just want some officers to celebrate that with us. And people usually laugh because we don't call officers, as you alluded to before, right. into things like that. When we call them, something has gone awry. Uh, and so it might behoove us as Christians to encourage officers, even if we don't know them. And, and again, you don't have to walk up and ask them, do they know Jesus and how much he loves them? <laughs> and I'm not telling you to say that, but, you know, maybe just coming up and saying, officer, thank you for what you're doing today. Um, thank you for watching out for me. Uh, and so on that end, uh, I think that would be helpful. Um, it it kind of reminds officers, um, 
that, uh, uh, and I don't mean this in a um, total depravity kind of way, but there are some good people out there, if you will. So uh, right. I'll put it this way. Uh, when I went um, into the academy, they had a, a, an orientation night where they brought the families in. And one of the best pieces of advice I got early on was make friends with people who aren't police officers. That's not to say don't have police officers who are friends, but have some others. Because the idea is everybody out here is a dirtbag, and i got to keep an eye on them. Well, oh, right. if you want some friends otherwise, they're able to show you that, well, hey, not everybody is that way. Not everybody is looking to uh, confront the police and that kind of thing, and so can temper that a little bit. I think that's an excellent thing because imagine it from their point of view too. If you're if you are uh, not a police officer, but if every interaction you have is with someone and they're not happy that you're there for whatever reason, then that can, as you said earlier, jade somebody. It can make people just sort of see the whole world as evil and wicked and nobody's good. And even the people who are so called good, again, not in a total depravity kind of way, but they're just people who are are waiting to do something wrong. Uh, yeah, I, I think that I think that is a great advice. You know, people are very good about that when it comes to military people, but they're not so good about that when it comes to the civil authorities. And I think that's great advice. Where we're getting close to the end of the show, I want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about uh, Peace Officer Ministries. You're the executive director of that. Um, and this, if, from what I understand, is training for men who or women who are looking to be chaplains in law enforcement, so police chaplains, sheriffs, deputy chaplains, that kind of stuff. Uh, tell us a little bit about what that organization is and how people can find out more information about it. Well, it, it actually was started by a pastor, Pastor Steve Lee, who um, sort of the generation before us, as it were. Um, and he was a peace officer out in California. And he and I have a similar story. He ended up up in Fort Wayne, um, graduated from there, uh, and then uh, he developed Peace Officer Ministries. Well, we got to meet, and of course, police officers have their own language and all that kind of thing, too. That, that's, if I can make a little excursus here, um, for pastors, uh, treat it like it's a mission field. They've got their own language. They've got their own rites and ceremonies, both formal and informal, and just sort of recognize that kind of thing, and that's, that'll help you to figure out how to share the gospel with them. But at any rate, Steve uh, and I got together, and he asked me, hey, come on board. Let's do some things. So we, we did some critical incident uh, responses like Orlando and Dallas uh, uh, when they had the officers were ambushed. We've been down in Nicaragua, a couple other places uh, for training and for critical incident response. So right now um, we are revamping our training a little bit. I'm working on the curriculum as we speak, and um, my hope is uh, to get reconnected with Concordia St. Louis again, so that we can offer um, a continuing education credits. Uh, so, you know, our courses aren't just so you can be a chaplain, but you can get an idea of what it is so that maybe you can go back to your congregation, for instance, and, hey, how can we reach out to this particular culture group uh, that, are, that are law enforcement officers? Um, I, I tell people I, just, I do want everybody to hear about and come to know Jesus. And so how can we do it? And how do we do it for this special group, as it were? Um, you know, we also produce a Bible, which we're down to our last few. Uh, and Phil, you should be getting yours today, I hope. Oh, excellent. Thanks. Yeah, I sent it this week. 
where we have uh, some material that Steve Lee and I wrote uh, that pertain to help sort of navigate scripture a little bit, especially for the peace officer, and, and some of the things that we talked about here today uh, uh, is in the study material. Um, and I think that's helpful. I hope it's helpful for chaplains and for officers. And so one thing your folks can do that are listening is you can pray as we are uh, looking to raise a little bit of money so we can do our next printing of the Bible because we're just about out of uh, out of our batch that from our last printing. So um, uh, in today's uh, economy and all that, we're hoping to be able to, to do it well. So prayers for that would be appreciated. And so you have a website, right? Peaceofficerministries.org, is that right? That's correct, and we are really we're a, we're a ministry of Redeemer Lutheran Church. Um, just Excellent. Bureaucratically, it's easier to do it that way. So of course, um, of course. Well, that's wonderful, and I really appreciate the conversation and learning more. You know, my my trajectory um, got changed pretty early on, but my undergrad is in. Uh, criminal justice, applied criminology, they call it now. But <laughs> basically, uh, I was headed in that direction and then um, ended up doing, basically being a private investigator for a while before going to the seminary. So the Lord shifted my gears pretty quickly. So it's always a blessing to to hear from folks like you. Um, I know that there are so many good um, law enforcement officers out there and other people in positions of authority who are seeking to do the Lord's will. They need our support. And, and frankly, um, those who may be tempted to abuse that authority, they also need our prayers. And, and for those of you out, you know, on the streets and interacting with authority, um, you know, it's, it's, it's good to remember that these are human beings and that their authority ultimately comes from God, even if they, um, uh, in general, sometimes don't behave that way. We have the example of Paul here who's in prison and yet telling us to pray for the governing authorities. We have the example of David. We're right now in 1 Samuel, and what is David doing? He is respecting the position of King Saul, even though the Lord has already rejected him. David yeah. is a man after God's own heart. Let's be a people after God's own heart, too. Uh, thank you to the Reverend Frank Raffato, pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Charleston, West Virginia, and executive director of Peace Officer Ministries. Brother, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me, and uh, I look forward to the next time. Uh, I think we're on. Yes, again you'll be on. What what topic are we covering together? Do you recall? I, I think we're doing. Is it Second Samuel? Yeah. Uh, okay, so it'll be a little while. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I look forward to having you back for Second Samuel, and uh, folks, come back on Monday as we keep on going with First Samuel, with chapter twenty six. David learns that Saul is pursuing him in the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 men, 3,000 men just to try to get David. So David sneaks into Saul's camp at night with his nephew and finds Saul sleeping with his spear and a water jug near his head. Well, Abishai, that's the nephew, wants to kill Saul with his own spear, but David refuses to harm the Lord's anointed. How apropos with our conversation today. Instead, David takes the spear and the water jug and he leaves. Then from a safe distance, he calls out to Saul and his commander Abner and rebukes them for not guarding the king. He shows them the spear in the water as a proof of his mercy. Folks, we're going to talk about that and a lot more when we come back on Monday. So until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word. 